how to observe Comet 2022-E3-ZTF on episode 293 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the night sky. And we ask, is this going to be a naked eye comet? Well, we're going to find out real soon. We're getting into like the kind of the the 11th hour on this one. And, and it's either going to be really cool or real disappointing. <laughs> so I guess we'll find out. I'm going to give some quick facts. I was mm-hmm. going to do some quick facts right at the top, just so people know what we're talking about. Um, currently, the comet is in the sixth magnitude. I was uh, making up these notes last night, and uh, this is sort of an evolving thing. And by the time I got to the end of my notes, um, Yoshida's uh, comet page updated with the observations from uh, last evening, and they were uh, coming in even brighter than forecast. So 6.7, 6.8 magnitude uh, right now, and it's expected to brighten to fourth magnitude. Uh, and this makes it uh, at 6.7 already uh, a binocular target, easy binocular target from a dark sky site. Uh, it's brightening faster than predictions. The best dates to observe are going to be from mid-January until February 1st. And after that, the moon is going to interfere. It's a morning target, highest in the circumpolar sky before dawn. So I'm going to read a disclaimer first, Shane. We have to put a disclaimer in into this comet talk, eh? We do, um, because we never know what will happen. So the disclaimer is the actual astronomy podcast, its associated partner subsidiaries shall not be legally or otherwise responsible for the brightness of comet 2022 E3ZTF. Any brightness predictions by Chris and Shane reflect their own personal opinions and not those of the actual astronomy podcast. So why all the legalese? (laughs) I don't think you're paying your lawyer very much either by the looks of that. (laughs) But comets are just very unpredictable. Um, there's always estimates for every comet about how it will brighten, but the very, there's so many variables that we just don't know, like the composition of the comet, um, what it will experience during its close encounter with the sun, you know, will it be able to survive that? Um, there's many factors that, you know, just sort of lead to who knows. Um, I can't remember Chris, maybe you do, but like, I think it was last year or or certainly at some point during this podcast that we've, uh, been doing, there was another comet that was supposed to get like magnitude five. Everybody was super excited going to be the big naked eye comet. And then it went around the sun and never really reappeared. You know, nobody really knows what happened, but I think it got broken up or something. And, uh, it turned into a big disappointment. There was no naked eye comet. So, um, you know, then on the other hand, Neo wise, uh, was phenomenal. It really, I think exceeded expectations. Um, so we'll see what happens with this one. And then the other factor here, even if it does brighten, you never know what you're going to get in terms of tail, you know, is it going to have like a, a real long tail like Neowise uh, did, or will it be more like, was it Holmes that was just sort of a big puffy ball, you yeah. know? Um, so there's a, there's a lot of kind of intrigue, right? As to what will happen with this comet or, or really any comet for that matter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, comets, they're notoriously unpredictable. And now this was, this was before you and I came, came along at, uh, in the scene at all before we were born, but there was comet Kuhutek mm-hmm. C1973E1. And that was uh, a comet that passed close to the sun 
in December of 1973. And early predictions were that that comet would be one of the brightest comets of the 20th century, perhaps one of the brightest comets of all time, really captured a lot of uh, wider public attention and press, earning the the moniker Comet of the Century. I guess it was a huge deal. I don't know. It's long before I was born. But um, it only peaked. Now, th- this would have been a nice comet at negative three. I mean, that's a bright comet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But predictions were for it to be like negative 10 or oh, basically gee. the brightest of full moon. And uh, unfortunately, it it didn't meet those ex- expectations, though it did get bright. It was only bright for a really short time below dimming, uh, back below naked eye visibility by the end of January in 1974. So huh. these these things, these comets, short-lived in the sky and or can be short-lived in the sky. And uh, certainly uh, this comet here is no exception. If it gets bright enough to see unaided eye, it's going to be over the course of about a week, folks. So it's going to be a very short period of time you'd be able to see this naked eye. So Sean kind of prompted today's episode in a way, Shane, he uh, sent us in a, mm-hmm. uh, an image and, uh, and an email. And do you want to take a read of this? Do you mind? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, Chris and Shane. Uh, I heard you guys talking about this comet in the past couple episodes. So wanted to share my first attempt at imaging it. I had just finished a night shift and was very surprised to see that it was clear out. So I got a bit excited and started the drive home, hoping that the clouds would stay away long enough to get a few shots of it. I got home and it was crystal clear until the moment the telescope was set up and ready to go. Chris, I can relate to that. Many times I've put a telescope out with clear skies to acclimatize, come out 30 minutes later and it's overcast. Yep. Uh, Sean goes on to say, uh, it started out as a wall of cloud cover and was very close to calling it after about an hour. Uh, I went outside to put the scope away and saw a bunch of clear breaks. So I set it, uh, to take a run of 60 second exposures until it got too bright out. I ended up with a handful of shots that were good enough for a once in a lifetime comet under mainly cloudy skies for months. Uh, the attached image was shot with my AstroTech AT72 ED2 nice. and a ZWO astronomy camera. Very excited to see how this one evolves. So what I found super interesting about Sean's image is um, you can see some of the green that, you know, <laughs> the media seems to have latched onto that there's this green comet that, you know, will never pass again or for 50,000 years. Or I've seen all sorts of headlines with this one. Um, but what, what I found most interesting about Sean's image is like this, like the, there's not like a, a narrow long tail on this. It's, it's like a big wedge of dust or debris coming off of this thing. Like, a I don't even know how to describe it. Sort of a V, but like a very unpronounced V, like a very wide V. What, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, it's like classic fantail. Although I was looking at other images of it last night and, you know, and just depending on how people image it, I suppose, and how they process their images, some of them almost make it look like, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a field hockey stick. Like it has like a oh, okay. core and then it has like sort of a brighter tail. And then it has like this wedge shaped fan, like you're, you're describing. So now Sean's image was from uh, several days ago, or maybe even, uh, I guess maybe a week and a half ago, once this podcast airs. So, uh, you know, and this thing is changing, you know, as comets do even hour to hour and mm-hmm. night to night, cause it's, uh, 
uh, as of this morning, it was about a quarter magnitude brighter than it was um, two nights ago. So by the time this uh, podcast goes live, it, it could even be as bright as uh, sixth magnitude, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Nice, uh, nice shot. It was actually, I think this was pretty much the first, in, like the first image showing the tail that I saw. I saw some earlier images of it and then wasn't really uh, looking at stuff because just wasn't feeling too good there for, for a week or so. And uh, so his was, was the first one I saw where you could sort of clearly see that, uh, that tail, but see how it kind of, there's like a, like a sort of a brighter part sort of sticking down towards the bottom of the screen. That's, mm-hmm. I guess that's brightening up quite a bit. So they were saying originally, like you wouldn't be able to see a tail in this comet, but uh, now I think we might be able to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, this is just the unpredictability or the variability of comets. You just never, it's like a box of chocolates, Chris. <laughs> Not as tasty though. I was eating no. chocolate. All right. Good stuff. So uh, comet C slash 2022 E3 ZTF details. Um, February 1st, uh, this comet is going to pass within uh, 0.28 astronomical units of Earth, so 28 million miles. And uh, But it already was as close as, as it was going to get to the sun on January 12th, which was at 1.1 astronomical units. Astronomical unit, just Earth-sun distance. So it didn't get any closer to the sun than the Earth is. But now, because of our orbit, the orbit of the comet, the um, the orbits of the comet and the Earth are are still decreasing, and they're going to get pretty close, um, you know, by uh, by February first. After February first, so you're not going to be able to see this comet because uh, well, you're going to be maybe be able to see it, but it's going to be reduced because it's just about a full moon in the sky. Um, my notes say currently it's around seven magnitude, but it is uh, actually brighter than forecast, and. Um, it might reach, they're seeing a, a forecast magnitude of 4.2 uh, at the end of uh, January, according to Skyhound. Um, but if it if it keeps running about a quarter of magnitude brighter, it would be something if it reached like magnitude 3.9. Because magnitude 3.9 comet, in my opinion, once you get brighter than fourth magnitude, if you get under um, like a nice dark rural sky, pretty much anywhere, you'd be able to see a magnitude uh, 3.9 comet in the sky. So that would be exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, I'm just, I'm always super intrigued with these comets to see what they'll turn into. Um, uh, I still remember like that comet Holmes, um, and, and how it appeared, you know, it, it just, I, I, I love comets because of that. You just never know what it's going to, what it will look like. Yeah. I made a lot of observations of comet Holmes. Um, I was in Ontario at the time and I remember it welled up and we were looking at it under the moonlit sky when it was at its most, most visible. It's pretty cool. But this, um, this comet E3ZTF last visited 50,000 years ago during the time of the Neanderthals. Are you a Gary Larson comic fan? I don't know him at all. So he, he did <laughs> comics with uh, Neanderthals and such. I, I thought maybe he'd come into retirement for this one. Um, However, the orbit uh, is such that when it passes the sun this time, it's going to get kicked out of the solar system. So this is this is the last time it's going to be visiting us. Mm-hmm. Well, glad we have this opportunity to say farewell. So Comet E3ZTF. Um, so you see like there's a C slash 2022. So the C means, and you can kind of think about it like this, there's C and P comets. Um, do you know the difference between C and P comets? I do not. 
So C comets, these are uh, non-periodic comets, and the C is kind of like it's open-ended um, because other th- it, its full orbit hasn't been determined or its orbit is beyond, say, so many hundred years that its orbit can't be determined, or it's a one-time pass-through uh, comet. If it's a P comet, that means it's periodic, and I think like the periodic comets all typically fall within the range of, uh, of a couple hundred years uh, at most or so. Otherwise, it's a C comet. And then the E3 ZTF comes from uh, the fact that it was discovered on March 2nd by the Zwicky Transit Facility at Palomar Observatory in California. Zwicky Transit Facility, ZTF. Mm-hmm. E3 bit comes from the naming convention, which is determined um, by each month being broken into two parts. Early part of January is A, late January is B, early part of February is C, late Feb is D, early March is E. So E3 means third comet discovered in early March. So if you ever look at a comet name, that's how they're named. And uh, so typically you get that, um, whether it's a uh, open-ended comet or whether it's a periodic comet, the year, um, sort of the half month and the number the comet was in the half month it was discovered. And then followed by either the name of the facility or sometimes like the individual or individuals who discovered it, like Don McColtz has discovered whole pilot comets, fortunately passed away earlier last year. And uh, so he he had a number of names uh, named comets after him. So let's see, where are we at here? Yeah, if it reaches fourth magnitude at the end of the month, um, really that makes it a great binocular comet for most folks and uh, a naked eye comet for those that can get out to dark skies. So how do comets work, Shane? <laughs> well, they travel through the solar system. <laughs> I'm not sure really where you're going with that. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they're they're made up of like, you know, kind of like um, one of my favorite um, analogs for a comet. Alan Dyer took a picture on a big pile of snow, I think it was in the backyard observers guide that he uh, uh, co-authors oh, yeah. with uh, Terrence Dickinson, and um, he was at a snow dump. And you know, in Canada, I think most Canadians are familiar with a snow dump. But what happens as cities clear snow after snowfalls here, they load it up into big trucks and then they take it to like a designated area and they dump it. And the snow is usually you know full of dirt and kind of dirty, and um, Alan Dyer took a photo of, of himself on top of one of these piles of dirty snow and said, basically, this is a comet. It's made up of a lot of ice and dust. And, you know, there's some gas in there too. Um, and they originate from way out in the solar system, uh, typically from the Oort cloud. And uh, then as they move in through the solar system and they approach the sun, you know, things are getting warmer. Uh, so they start to, uh, eject some of the debris and the gas, um, as a result of this. And then there's the, the solar wind that kind of is, is blowing against this comet, which helps disperse some of this debris. And hence we end up with, you know, comets as we know them, you know, with a kind of a nucleus and and then a, a tail of debris, uh, flowing behind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how bright would a fourth magnitude comet be like is this something everybody uh, should get excited about like what do you think yeah, yeah you know anytime a comet becomes naked eye and typically uh naked eye you know is 
usually around magnitude five to six. Now, you know, if you're getting in that into that six range, you're probably needing darker skies, but anytime a comet makes its way to naked eye visibility, it starts to become very interesting for astronomers because not only can you see it with your eyes, but then if you put any sort of optical aid on it, whether binoculars or a telescope, this is when you really start to see some pretty amazing detail typically. Um, and not only that, but you don't need a, like a telescope of large aperture, you know, magnitude 10 and 12 comets, they're out there all of the time. However, you need some larger telescopes to really, you know, see those. And even then it's probably just going to be like a faint a puff of light, like a fuzzy, a fuzzy ball or something like that. But these brighter comets, there's just usually a lot more to observe. Yeah. So one thing I was uh, like trying to give people some perspective is last January, last December, January, we had uh, Comet Leonard and that peaked at magnitude 5.3. And I remember I went out and um, observed it in my hundred millimeter, 80 millimeter, and it was visible, but that was a challenging comet to see, mm-hmm. even though it sort of might've met that naked eye criteria, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And, and, and oh, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, Chris. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, you know, it, it, the reason why, even though it was 5.3, which you, you think might just barely be naked eye visibility is that we had a lot of haze and, and, you know, some cloud around at that time of year for us, but it was also very low and you're looking through more atmosphere when it's very low. So it was only just rising, um, you know, 15, 20 degrees above the horizon just before dawn. So there, there was no chance, you know, after I went out the first night and saw it, I was like, there's no chance this is going to be a naked eye comet for me anyway. Um, and I think maybe I heard like one or two, maybe three people, certain parts of the world that were just, um, geographically well set up to, to be able to get it high in the sky. But for, for the most part, this was a, uh, really a difficult comet to see. We saw it, I think at Mike's 15 by fifties, um, but it was it was still a challenge even even in the telescope um to hunt down and, and then to get just because uh it was just so low on the horizon mm-hmm. yeah which is another important factor here for sure but this comet on the other hand although it's also going to be a morning comet it's uh forecast to be about about a magnitude brighter maybe even a magnitude and a quarter brighter and uh and it's going to get really high in the east or in the northeast or or sorry northwest i i suppose once it flips around um in the morning sky here over the next week it's moving pretty cr- pretty quickly across the sky uh and it's circumpolar and how rare is this how rare is it to get say like a fourth magnitude comet i think of what about every few years or so we get a get a decent fourth magnitude-ish comet. I think there's been about 12 comets that have been brighter in the past uh, uh, two dozen years or so. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like recently um, we've had our fair share of these brighter comets. Um, and this one is, I'd say, maybe a little bit, well, it, it seems like most of the uh, most of these comets lately have been more for Southern Hemisphere folks. So yeah. this one is kind of unique to me that it's more of a Northern Hemisphere. Although Holmes, which we've talked about a little bit, that one was more Northern Hemisphere, but mm. the uh, a lot of the others seem to be more Southern. For us, I'm looking at the uh, how to see Comet C uh, or E, it's E3. I think there was a C3 I was trying to look at there for a while too, but now there's the E3 mm-hmm. uh, ZTF 
And so this comet is actually circumpolar for us. So it's actually always above the horizon, although before um, about two or three o'clock in the morning, it just sort of sits right in the other horizon. You know, we were talking to Dave yesterday and we did a podcast with him and um, and he was talking about Capella. It's sort of at about the same uh, northern latitude as, as Capella and it just kind of sits on the northern horizon until we get into the morning sky and then it rises up uh, nice and high into the uh, northeast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. <laughs> this is a morning comet. Now, Shane, not everybody is as excited about a morning comet as I am. <laughs> yeah, well, because um, some of us like to sleep. <laughs> Strange people. Yes. So the other thing to keep in mind is that on February 1st, Moonset is at uh, uh, 6.30 in the morning. So that's the probably the last good opportunity to see it. So really, it's going to be... Um, well, this podcast is going to come out around what it's going to be like the 20th or 21st of January. So you really got about 10 good days to see this comet. And then that's probably going to be it because it's going to brighten fast right now. It's uh, it's just a binocular comet, which is awesome. But if it gets naked eye, it's only going to be naked eye for maybe um, a week, if that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a short window of time. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that our weather cooperates as well as anybody else that's wanting to observe this. Um, you know, if you have an opportunity, well, first of all, keep an eye on just the reports, because again, maybe this doesn't brighten like people think it will, but it's looking pretty positive right now. Um, so keep an eye on that. And then if it is, uh, brightening as expected, if you have any opportunities, I would say jump on it because it, again, it's 10 days is going to go by pretty fast. Did you see where it's going to go in the sky? It's kind of an interesting track. Did you check that? I have time to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. It is super interesting. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So it's going to go um, in the Camel of Partilus, which is the, uh, not the Northern Camel, but it's the Northern Giraffe, of course. And it scoots between Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. And on the 29th, 30th, it actually crosses that sort of imaginary line between the bowl, the Big Dipper and Polaris. So when we say like, um, you know, use those pointer stars in the bowl of the Big Dipper to go to Polaris, it's going to cross that line, Mm. which to me is super interesting more than anything else, because this makes the comet extremely easy for people to find. So many people have used the bowl of the Big Dipper to find Polaris. And if you haven't before, this is a good opportunity. So you can go out, find the Big Dipper in the nighttime sky. You can use an app or software or something, just nothing that's going to blind you uh, and ruin your night vision. But most people can find the Big Dipper and most, and a lot of people already know that if you use the bowl of the Big Dipper, those pointer stars, they point 30 degrees. Your fist at arm's length is 10 degrees. If you go three fists up following that same line from those two stars, the brighter star that you get to up there is going to be Polaris. And this comet is going to pass about halfway across the line. So about a fist and a half right across that line. I think that's super interesting. This comet is going to be very easy for people to see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you are trying to see this naked eye, um, having some of those reference points will really help you out. So you know what area to look for. The other thing is like us, many of the listeners have those super wide field constellation view binoculars. Mm. You and I have 3d printed our own, but I don't know how, what, maybe at least a dozen or more of our listeners have written that they've also picked up a pair of these binoculars. Mm -hmm. And considering that this comet is going to be 
right around naked eye visibility and from the city, not quite so much, but more of a binocular target. Uh, I think perhaps from the city, you might be able to get it with those super wide field view binoculars. I've dug mine out just for this. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I will have my ultra wide binos ready to go. And um, I'm just actually, after we were uh, stop recording this podcast. I'm going to uh, reconfigure my 71 millimeter uh, Borg uh, for two inch IP accessories Ooh. so that I can uh, get as wide a field as possible. Uh, so that's my planned approach is to take a couple uh, of instruments, some binoculars and a, a telescope and um, see what I can see. Yeah. And so um, the, the place to look, I, I think, I think, you know, during that week of the twenties, um to the first of feb that this is the time to view this mm -hmm. because after the moon is out of the sky it's going to take about two weeks for the moon to get out of the sky so by valentine's day or or the 15th of uh, day after valentine's the 15th of february um the comet's still going to be there but it's going to have moved off to a position um sort of relative to where it is now uh, in our sky. So maybe it's going to be around sixth magnitude or seventh magnitude again. So it's going to come in, it's going to be bright, and then it's going to move uh, far away. So I think to have any chance of seeing it, and this is sort of one of the challenges we have the media is they've kind of latched onto the fact that, you know, be naked eye comet. And that's true, but people are going to have to get to a pretty dark site. Eh? Shane, what would be a good enough dark site, like a site that you could see the Milky Way from? Would that be about good enough, do you think? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you can start to pull out some of the Milky Way, that would be a great location. Um, uh, you know, when Comet Neowise came past, I, I mean, and you know, no two comets are the same, but I was maybe 20 minutes from my house and uh, still well within the glow of, you know, the city here and was able to see it naked eye quite easily. Yeah. This one's going to be, um, Comet Neowise was magnitude one. Yeah. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, I could barely get I could I could get Neowise naked eye from my backyard, which is horribly light polluted. Mm. Um, however, I don't think I'll stand any chance of getting this comet naked eye from my yard. So uh, I'm going to have to drive out of the city, which is fine um, to be able to get a view of any reasonable chance of getting a view of a fourth magnitude comet naked eye. You're, you're really going to have to be outside of any kind of large town or city because typically um, fourth magnitude is uh, is sort of that cutoff point where you're you're just not going to see it from from city or large uh, town skies. Mm -hmm. um, that said, uh, should be visible from binoculars anywhere reasonably dark um, within a, a moderately sized city. Like I think I should be able to see it from my backyard, even in uh, my constellation view binoculars. I think anything that just magnifies uh, a few times and brings in a little bit extra light, I think that's uh, that's going to be joy enough to be able to uh, to see it, eh? Yeah, agreed. So what size binoculars, what size telescopes? You're talking about getting, well, let's see. What I think any size binocular is going to work. So whatever people have, mm -hmm. just use that. I, I think that's probably uh, the good standard advice. You don't need a really big pair of binoculars uh, any sort of small binocular will do. I know I'm going to use my seven by 35s and my uh, two by whatever they are, constellation view binoculars that just basically give you about uh, four or five times more light than uh, than what your eye brings in alone. Yeah, I'll use the same constellation binoculars. I'll take my 12 by 36 Canon IS binoculars 
And then a uh, 71 millimeter telescope, um, probably with my, uh, probably my 30 millimeter uh, APM UFF, uh, just to not have a, a boat anchor tied to the back end of that <laughs> telescope. And uh, that'll be my setup. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to, like, it depends if, if it looks like I'm going to get a bunch of nights, um, might take out my uh, 60 to start. And then usually on subsequent nights, I'll take the 100. I'd like to get a sketch of it through the 100 because I sketched uh, Comet Neowise through my 100. That was like one of the first sketches I did in my 100. And then um, do some sketching through the uh, uh, through the 100 uh, for Leonard and then uh, get this one in, in the 100 millimeter as well. So uh, what should people look for? Should they look for the green color? Well... I don't think I would recommend that. Um, I think you're going to need, uh, you know, some sort of photograph or longer exposure to probably tease out the color, but, um, you know, I, I guess look for it and maybe you can see it. Um, but I'm not expecting that. How about you? I don't think so. I think it's going to be like a gray white. Maybe if it was like, I'm trying to think maybe high attack, I could see some color in that. That's like, a 1996 comet when I just first got into astronomy, it was one of the brightest and biggest comets we've ever had go by earth. And I think I could see some blue and green in that comet. I don't know that I've seen much than we have color in other comets. How about you? No. Um, wasn't Holmes also sort of famously green if I'm, or am I thinking of a different one? I, I, thought I think was- you might be right, but I didn't see any color in it. I just saw the, yeah. the ghostly, uh, you know, sort of white. It, it appeared to me, it appeared very white to my eye. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of this stuff, whether you're looking at nebula or comets visually, uh, most of the time you're not really going to see color. Um, and I, that's my expectation this time too, is that it'll, it'll be gray or, or, or kind of that whitish color. So. Yeah, I think this uh, this color, like my mother asked me, she called me up the other night and she was like, what's the green thing we're going to see in the nighttime sky? <laughs> no, I said, it. I think it's, I think you're referring to the comet, but you're not going to see it as green and you'll need to get my, my nephews are super excited. I think they're going to take the telescope out, take a look. I, I got to reach out to them and get in touch and um, make sure that, uh, that they're good to go, but they're, they're already making their plan. They, they kind of know where it is. Um, they're going to try to hunt it down so maybe they can show it to her. Um, but I think the green and, and people saying to look out for the green is, uh, is maybe some astro editors uh, or non astro editors, non astronomy editors, uh, looking at photos and guiding people to look for, for something green. And I think as well, the fact that it's going to be naked eye, but it's really not, it's just going to be barely naked. eye. I think is a bit misleading and it's sort of barely naked eye from like a country location, you know, or maybe, um, you know, a a rural location of some sort, but you need to have somewhat decently dark skies. Like I was thinking, you know, this, this would be in the range of like the Andromeda galaxy and uh, give Mm -hmm. or take. And, you know, you can see that from the city with your binoculars, but I don't know, maybe I've seen it like on the best night when it's been right up overhead. But other than that, Chances are in the seven days, this comet is going to be naked eye visible. I think it's going to be pretty tough to get it um, from the city. I'm sure some people will, and that, that'll be awesome. But I think for like general public guidance, they really should just be telling people to take their handheld binoculars out. Because I think with handheld binoculars, you go out around those the 29, 30th, find the Big Dipper, find Polaris, find that line that runs in between. If you're out before... The 30th, if you're 28th, 27th, 26th, 
go to the halfway point between the bull, the big dipper and Polaris go to start at the halfway point, start going left. And then you'll find the comet. If you're after the 29, then just start going right a little bit. And uh, 29th, uh, 30th, 31st, or, and then the first of Feb, you know, you're going to, you're going to find it there just to the right of, of that line. So I think, you know, using binoculars, anybody's going to be able to have a decent chance of seeing that through binoculars from, uh, from uh, all, but like the largest cities, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even if you can see it from a light polluted sky, um, you know, I guess you can check it off in terms of, I, you know, you observed it, but this will be similar to like a deep sky object that the darker the sky, the better this well look and, and maybe the more detail or the more, more of the tail extent that you would be able to see under darker skies. So, um, while you might be able to see it under light pollution, uh, it's just always better if you can get somewhere, you know, less light polluted. Yeah, I think I think from a city, it's just going to look like a defocused star. Really, I think it's just yep. going to be a little fuzzy star. What do you think? Yeah, that would be my expectation too. It wouldn't be that spectacular. Like even when I look at Andromeda, yeah, I can see it from my backyard, um, but it doesn't look like much, <laughs> especially relative to what I can see under a dark sky with the same instrument. You know, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, and Leonard's tail last year was was faintly visible mm-hmm. from my sixth magnitude site. So if, uh, if E3 ZTF ends up being, uh, a magnitude brighter and sprouts, uh, as bright a tail, and, and it looks like maybe it will, my fingers are crossed that because for some reason, they don't think it's going to sprout much of a tail at all. But, uh, if it is that magnitude brighter and higher up, I, I think going to stand a pretty good chance of seeing that, but you really want to get, uh, your binoculars out to a dark sky location, like somewhere that is reasonably dark. We can start to see like that uh, winter Milky Way, um, you know, or maybe even the summer Milky Way sort of peeking over the eastern horizon because you can be up early in the morning uh, to see it. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I looked; it looked like about about an hour or so before um, daylight begins interfering. It's going to be about sixty degrees up for us anyway. Now it's going to vary depending on where you are, but um, for northern hemisphere observers. You know, we're going to, we're going to stand a pretty good view, um, with it nice and high. And I think if you do get it to a dark location, you know, um, two or three hours before sunrise is probably the time to, to aim for it this time of year. And then, uh, you know, sort of find that, uh, big dipper bowl, uh, use your fist, go three fists out to Polaris and then about halfway in between. If you're before, um, the 30th of January, you're going to want to pan left, and sort of, uh, you know, above the handle of, of the big dipper. And you might have to pan around quite a bit to find if you're not used to that. And then if you're after the 30th, you're going to want to sort of pan up and to the right. So below into the left before up into the right after the uh, 30th of January, try to figure out some very basic instructions for people to find it, because I think that's probably the, uh, the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what else can we say? Anything else to add about this, uh, this cometary exploration. I'm pretty excited for this. This is a reasonably bright comet. Uh, be the brightest one since Neowise, I think. At least uh, one that we can see in our hemisphere. And, uh, you know, any telescope, I think, is going to provide a, a pretty decent view. So if you do have a telescope, it could be worth dusting it off for this. But pair of binoculars, for sure. This is really more of a binocular comet than a naked eye comet. Although if you get to a dark sky, it's fun to be able to see, say you or, or take a look and see a comet that you can see without any optics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And just looking at the uh, Comet outlook for the next like couple of years, um, in 2024 March, there's a comet that right now people are saying could reach magnitude four. Mm. Um, but beyond that, there's nothing that really gets anywhere near that brightness for like going into 2027. Now that can change. Comets are discovered all of the time. And sometimes newly discovered comets can become very bright. But w- my, my point in mentioning this is while we have potentially a shot at another bright comet next year, there might not be any for a while. So you really need to, um, I think, you know, if skies cooperate, really make an effort to observe this one because uh, you just never know when you might have another opportunity like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is a little unfortunate this winter. I remember looking at Comet Neowise there in 2020. It was really nice. But uh, yeah. yeah, this one is is going to be a little bit of a, a chilly spread. But fortunately, we're having warmer weather here, Shane. So I'm really excited. So yeah, you, I am too. Uh, else to add to this episode? No, just good luck, everybody. That uh, will make some attempts, and uh, if you do get out there and observe it, or even if you don't, we'd love to hear about it. So please, uh, please let us know how you make out. All right, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please send us your comet observations, sketches, images, and any associated travel stories to actualastronomy at gmail Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <music>